Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Beko, and I have a special guest today, Abhishek. Welcome thank to the you. podcast. Uh, thank you for inviting me over. Yeah. So this is part two of two-part episode where we talk about Saratage Growth Properties, a REIT that has a really interesting story going for them, um, coming off of, you know, as a, as a spinoff of, of Sears and as a REIT, undervalued assets. That's kind of the story we're talking about here. Uh, but bef before we jump into um, the meat of the story and in, in the second part of this podcast, if you haven't listened to the first part, please do, because that provides a lot of context to what we're going to talk about in this episode. Uh, in this episode, we're going to really focus on uh, the management, the the balance sheet. How does that look like? And then ultimately, we're going to run through a valuation exercise. So, if you guys haven't listened to the first part of the of this of this Eritage, uh, episode, please do before uh, listening to this one. And just a quick shout out to Abhishek, who is uh, a special guest to the podcast. You know, he I extended an invitation. You guys probably heard if you listened to the first episode. But I extended an invitation to Abhishek to come onto the podcast because he has done this thorough analysis and shared with uh, our Slack community, right? And um, and his analysis was was quite good, and so I invited him onto the podcast um, as a way to encourage everyone else who are everyone else who is in the community to do the same, right? Pick a pick a pick a company that that you know that you like and try to dissect it, understand it, you know. Uh, and figure out what is their story, right? This is really a a story exercise. So I hope this podcast and I hope Abhishek can be an inspiration for people to to do the same. And again, just a quick quick housekeeping items, a couple more housekeeping items. If you guys want to be part of the Slack channel where Abhishek posted this awesome report, please reach out to me at info at valueinvestor.org, info at valueinvestor.org. And we're also going through a checklist uh, so if you like a checklist, please reach out to me also at the uh, same, same, same email address, info at valueinvestor.org. Okay, enough, enough about the housekeeping items. Let's, let's jump right into the checklist. Um, so in this, in this episode, again, we're going to talk about the financials, the management, and valuation. For those of you who... Um, yeah, so so we're going to talk about those three things. So Abhishek, if you could quickly summarize what we talked about in the last episode before we do talk about these questions, uh, that I think that would be great. So I'll toss it to you. Yeah, so Seritage um, is basically a, a mall read or retail read that holds uh, underlying assets that were spun off from Sears. And uh, I believe that the market is not willing to value these properties for the price it should. Um, and uh, while they are going, and it's, it's difficult to value them because they are going through this big transition of uh, recapturing these properties, uh, redeveloping them and releasing them. And and what market thinks is, um, it's very unlikely that Seritage will be, do, will be able to do so. But when you deep dive into these properties and the way they are doing it is very interesting to know for, for everyone that they're basically able to sell the assets, some of the assets uh, to fund the capital investment that is required to develop the, the crown jewels or the remaining properties. Yeah, excellent. 
So let's go to let's go to kind of the the these, these subsequent questions about the balance sheet. Basically, uh, these the series of questions that we're going to ask here uh, are really related to the health of the balance sheet. So uh, the first question: Does the company have enough cash to maintain its business? And I think it would be good to lump this question with a second question, which is: Does the company maintain reasonable debt level? I ask this because I think a lot of people, when you look at this company from the surface, people get scared away because of huge, you know, huge, a huge amount of debt on their balance sheet, right? So if you could talk about that, uh, that would be great. Yeah. So the current revenue comes from about comes up about ninety seven million dollars uh, from the properties that are currently being leased. Their operating expenses on these properties is about sixty million dollars, and overhead expenses are about forty to fifty million dollars. Um, other than that, they have a debt of sixteen hundred million dollars, and which has a seven percent interest of about hundred and twelve million dollars. Now, the interesting part over here is that these are triple net leases. What a triple net lease means is that tenant after the the space is leased, tenant pays for all the maintenance, redevelopment, and all the taxes that the property holds. So what that means is once the property is leased, the rent that is coming as a revenue directly slides down to the bottom line after the overheads are paid for. So the pro so the operating expenses Seritage is right now paying about $60 million will drastically reduce once the properties are completely redeveloped and released. Yeah, that makes sense. And can you talk about the cash and the debt level? Yeah, so um, they have about $120 million of cash as of uh, quarter three of 2020, and the current debt level is about $1,600 million. Um, they have an interest of $112 million that they are able to fund through the cash that they are getting from sale of assets. But it, they, like I said in the first episode, they have... Uh, been able to amend this contract, which is with Berkshire Hathaway, uh, to defer the interest payment if the cash levels were were to go substantially low. Mm -hmm. And when was this uh, amendment done? I think it was in quarter quarter two uh, after the pandemic hit. I see. So this is maybe just my naivete, but why would they why would they not take advantage of that? Um, I think it's it's basically because uh, Berkshire basically wants to back this story, um, and um, Warren Buffett um, is also personally invested in this company through his personal portfolio, and uh, this term loan is provided by Berkshire. Um, so I believe um, they are being more lenient towards Seritage, and they believe in the in the upside um, the Seritage can pro essentially provide. Mm -hmm. I think that's an actually an interesting sub story that you probably should talk about, which is that this company is actually invested by several heavy hitter uh, value investors. So if you could talk about some of them, please. Of course. Um, uh, as we all know, Eddie Lampard himself um, were, is, a, is a great, was a great investor and is, is a major shareholder of Sears as well as Seritage. In addition to that, Warren Buffett owns a 5% stake in this company uh, when the company was spun out in 2015. Recently, Monish Pabrai bought about 12% stake in the company uh, after the pandemic when the, when the share price dropped from about 
$35 to $8 a share. And uh, additionally, Guy Spears um, added on to his position as well at the same time. And he owns about one person stake in the company. Uh, moreover, um, if uh, our listeners know, Phil Town um, also owns uh, the, uh, some of the stake in the company as well. I see. And do you know when they started buying the company? Yeah. Um, so um, Monish actually had bought this company back in 2017, but he was waiting for CS to survive until a certain time and then he sold off. And then he bought again in quarter two of 2020. Uh, Guy Spear added on to his very small position in, in quarter 20, quarter two of 2020 as well. And I, I believe Phil Town added at the same time. I see. That makes sense. Um, okay. So... Uh, enough cash, and obviously they're being financed by Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett himself. And it looks like they're securing, you know, these deals at a very favorable term. So, you know, having enough cash doesn't seem to be an issue when it comes to expanding its business, making sure that capex is being met. In terms of debt level, uh, they are paying 120 million in interest rate, and um, you know that should be. That should they should be able to service that off of the new, off of off of the off of the revenue that's being gener that would be generated in the future with these uh, future properties. So that that's the idea with cash and debt level. Okay, yeah. so the next question here is it's let's go to the free cash flow. So does a company generate a strong amount of free cash flow from operation? Right. Very, very important, I think, in the fact that you know we are we are in this phase of the company where they are pumping a lot of money back into the business, right, in the form of capex. So, how does that look? Free cash flow. So, interestingly enough, um, they don't. They don't generate enough cash. Like I said, ninety-seven million dollars of rent. They have about $100 million of operating expenses plus overheads right now. And they're basically trying to pay the interest through the sale of uh, sale of properties and fund the capex. So in, in a sense, they don't. But they have about 4 million square feet of properties that is ready. It's also leased. It's waiting for tenants to acquire the space and start paying rent. That would, equival, that would be equivalent to additional $70 million of rent that can be generated in next 12 to 18 months. So while we are in this pandemic and everybody's trying to figure out their business development plans, um, these properties, once, once uh, acquired, will start paying, paying the rent. Um, and additionally, they are not waiting for the redevelopment. They are they are blowing and going by using all the funds that they are getting from sale of assets to fund the redevelopment. I see, makes sense. I guess the risk here is that the the tenants don't show up soon enough, right? Is that a real yeah. risk? Uh, I would say yes and no because uh, while some of the spaces for retail and mixed use. Many of the retail that is getting developed in the next two years is basically residential. They have about 5,500 apartments that are coming online in the next two to three years, which stabilizes and diversifies their cash flow uh, apart from the $165 million that, that is likely to get generated that is signed lease, right? Um, the, so, so basically, um, we feel, I feel more certainty towards stabilization of that cash flow. Because the fact that the mix of the real estate portfolio you're talking about here is partly residential. And what is the percentage yeah. of the upcoming properties that are up for lease that are that are residential? 
Um, it's about, uh, let me see. Um, so the mix will be about 30%. 30 to 35% will be residential uh, once fully developed. I see. And is there any worry that, you know, the flight out of big cities, right? New York, San Francisco, uh, where, where are these Where are these uh, residential properties located? So these are exactly where Sears are at, and they are mostly in California and Florida. Um, so one of the, one of the big, uh, there are three big projects that were announced. Uh, one was in Florida, one was in California, and one was in Chicago. Uh, that sums up 5,500 um, apartments. I see. Do you worry about, I guess, is there any risk in terms of those also not being fulfilled within a reasonable amount of time? So um, it kind of it kind of depends, right? Um, but the value of the property doesn't re- really uh, uh, depreciate. And one of the good example of that is they in this in this last quarter um, they were actually able to sell some of the income generating properties at ten times the rent. So for example, uh, there were pro- there was a million square feet that was that was renting about fifteen million dollars, and they were able to sell it for one sixty seven million dollars. Right? It was not even generating rent; it was just signed lease. And another developer decided to buy the property, right? So even if they develop and make everything ready, they can't find buyers to get the property bought out. Which so, and I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so the story here is that in the short term, in the short term, the cash flow is negative, um, and it is going to turn positive. And, and in a short in a short while. When these when these new properties get uh, get on the market and people actually you know live there or you know start businesses there, the the question here is a timing aspect of all this, right? The bet here is that you know when they when they when they put these properties out in the market, people will come and people will, you know buy these pro- not buy them but lease these properties. But even in the worst case possible scenario, right? People don't show up; they don't want to lease at these properties. The worst case scenario from what you're saying is that you can at least sell them. You can sell them yeah. and you know, that, that would help in terms of, in terms of servicing, uh, in terms of, you know, bringing more money into the business, uh, top line. Yeah. Yes. And that's the key, right? It's, it's, it's highly uncertain and, and we'll get to the point of it, but, um, to the, to the traditional investor, uh, or financial community, it does seem very, very risky and, and, and certain. Uh, but a uh, lot of people uh, find it difficult to to differentiate between what the real risk is versus what the uncertainty is. Mm-hmm. And I think the story here is that these properties are valuable enough to service the debt. Uh, but when and how is the story to be unfolded? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So the bull case, so the bull case we talked about all, all along, but bear case is that no one's going to show up. COVID-19 is here to stay. Pandemic is here to stay. No one's going to be buying real estate properties commercial or residential uh maybe that's kind of a too extreme case but you know it, the demand is not going to be as as robust as it used to therefore you know rent is going to go down the property value is going to go down etc cetera, etc cetera. that's the bear case right yeah and even with that bear case it seems like even if you sell these properties at liquidation value they might be still be able to service the debt and still have some remaining equity Makes sense. Okay, great. Uh, let's move on to the second part of 
this podcast, this episode, which is talking about management. Uh, with REITs, you know, it's not necessarily super important, I don't think, uh, just because of the fact that you have to push out a lot of the, the earnings back to the short. I think it's 90%, right? 90% you have to push it back out. So it's not as as important as some other forms of company, but I think it's cer- still certainly worth mentioning, especially coming from the, from the fact that this is, uh, you know, there's a strong kind of value heritage of company uh, of people who are owning this company and, and running it. So let's talk about this uh, really quick. Is management properly incentivized to protect shareholders' interest over its own? So, so usually, I actually, mm-hmm. I actually went through. Um, uh, management compensation for every year and they actually highlight performance highlights that mm-hmm. they achieved every year right and if you if you make a summary of it it's basically in two spaces you are supposed to um basically sell the properties get the money do the development and lease it right um and for all all four years from 2015 to 2019 they were able to successfully successfully do that and that is how their compensation is as uh, is decided now another interesting point is that um sharon osberg that i would like to mention is very close friends with warren buffett i believe she was a partner his part partner in one of the bridge tournaments as well and she has served in sequoia fund as well as at a top executive level for wells fargo as well so she decides or she leads the uh, the compensation committee for seritage right and i could see a very realistic decision making on that because the moment pandemic hit uh, management salaries were cut by 25% and CEO salary was cut by 50%. Uh, so it seems like management is aware of it and they are taking necessary steps to maintain the cash flow and, and keep the keep the business um, um, solvent. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. I think, you know, this, this question maybe, it probably is very premature to talk about, but you know, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Has management handled excess capital in a shareholder-friendly way? So like buybacks or dividends, uh, you know, obviously the company's still kind of thinking about, you know, how do you, how do you make it cash flow positive and, and things like that? But what what is your take on this? So they were paying dividends um, until until 2019. Uh, until they rea- until they realize that they have to maintain certain cash. So to adhere to the rules of REITs, they were they were paying the paying the uh, dividends uh, usually, um, and and basically all the all the money is basically used to capex, which is a requirement in the best interest of the shareholders in my view, um, to to get more and more properties on online and release release them. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Um... The last question here, management open and honest. Is management open and honest? I feel like from the vibe that you're giving me, information that you're giving me, strong, more uh, ethical kind of compass. Um, I would say yes to this question, but what is your take? I do want to bring up two interesting points here. This one's a little truffle. So I think management is very transparent. So like when the COVID hit, uh, you can go online and find a CEO's letter explaining what they are doing, how they are managing the cash levels, what they are doing internally as well as externally to go through this period. So I, I do believe that the management is very transparent. Uh, um, however, there have been latest news uh, as, a, as, as early as 
two weeks ago that um, CEO of the company has decided to move into another another company um, as well as a CFO, which is a month ago. And um, I, I believe this is a this is a big news in terms of why why it would happen and in terms of this whole thesis, right? But when I think about it from shareholders' interest, right? Um, I believe that's the right move move to make if the the management is not willing to serve its shareholders and decides to go to some other other uh, company. And I believe this is where Sharon Osberg might have come to the position and say, "Hey, I'm sorry, but I cannot uh, keep up your salaries, and our salaries have to be cut." Right, which seems which seems reasonable given where we are. And to think from from management's perspective in terms of CEO, if he if he wants if he gets better offer, that seems fair to him as well. I see. So the reason why so I, so this is kind of a big news, right? The CEO and the CFO leaving the company to transition over to another company, right? And so you you think that the reason they are moving is because of the salary cap that the board has imposed on the executives i believe so so um company if, if there is anything company has not brought in any attention to any of the events that might be going on uh so it certainly seems like they want to say everything's nice and green um but then but then we know that they were their salaries were cut um, and um, if they have better opportunities, um, I think they're fair to, to take those advantage of. I see. Yeah, I, see I do want to add that um, it seems like potential CEO from my research could be Kenneth Lombard, who is current executive vice president as well of the company, and he has been with the company since the beginning. Um, there's a lot of um, news coming around around it, I guess, and um, it's it's not finalized, and there is no no news from the company but uh, having an internal ceo could be very well um, placement given the fact that um, they understand the business more than an outsider yeah that makes sense so bringing somebody who's internal and promoting within um, yeah okay that makes sense let's move on to the most interesting part one of the most interesting parts of this is you know which is the valuation right as we as we talked about it in the top of the podcast this this Seritage growth properties really is about the story of value investing, right? Looking at the balance sheet, this hidden assets, and figuring out whether the, that whether the assets that are sitting on balance sheet is worth more than what people claim to be, what the market claims it claims it to be. So, um, so let, let's uh, why don't you why don't you uh, walk us through your analysis and. Uh, and also, you know, talk us through your margin of safety and and the, the finally the the price of that course. you would be willing to pay for this company. Yeah. So, given the current potential of about hundred million dollars of rent and maybe another seventy million dollar coming in online, um, I believe they will be able to uh, remain solvent and maintain the cash levels. Uh, with the with the debt amendment, um, looking into the upside, I believe that they would sell off about 10 million square feet for about 800 to 900 million. Uh, use that to fund the development, increase the annual rents to up to 200 million from maybe maybe 165 in the next three years. That would allow them to get additional debt uh, from the credit facility that Berkshire has and keep that in the development, right? But in the long run, the interesting part is that they have about 20 million of undeveloped space, 
which is going to require about 2.7 billion dollars to to be to be um, to be uh, funded, right? And portion of that will will have to come from the tech. So let's say out of 2.7, 1200 million dollars come from this additional credit facility and the sale of assets the remaining 1.6 billion dollars or so will have to come from 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 de definitely an additional debt right uh, so the total debt is likely to increase from current level of 1.6 billion dollars to 3.2 billion dollars now the interesting point that i brought earlier is that once these properties become cash flow and stabilize they can and they should be able to do that refinancing at a mortgage level and uh, there are two examples that has happened that this has happened in the past one is the washington prime group and another is alexandria they were in this midst of transition and they were able to refinance these properties at a lower interest now with that um, their annual rents are likely to go from current levels of uh, 97 million to say 550 million million uh, over the next 10 years if they are able to develop all of its portfolio and uh, and that allows net operating income to increase uh, increase up to 360 to 430 million think about it this way once the properties are developed and leased these are triple net leases that allows only overhead and some of the maintenance capex that they would have to do other than that the rent comes straight to the bottom line if that is where to happen about 360 to 430 million of uh, of uh, net operating income should bring the enterprise value close to 7 billion dollars with a cap rate of 6% and if you subtract the debt of 3 to 3.55 billion dollars the equity should be worth about another 3 3 and a half billion dollars right and that translates into uh, 50 to 57 dollars per share uh, given that they dilute the equity by 20, 20%. So for example, right now the shareholder share uh, outstanding shares of 55 million, I anticipate them diluting that to about by 20% to $67 million and $3.5 billion would be worth about 50 to 55, $57 per share. Um, the interesting part about that is that while this is an upside, uh, as a value investor, I'm not willing to believe this, this story just yet because it has a long time horizon, right? Um, so my margin of safety lies in the fact of what happens by 2024, right? There, because there could be a potential risk of Seritage not willing, not be able to get more debt that they need to fund the development. So let's talk about what happened with, uh, up to 2024 or what can. Uh, they use the 800 million from sale of assets. Then they uh, get the 400 million dollars from Berkshire uh, to um, to get additional rent of only 150 million dollars. So the annual rents would go up to 300 to 310 million dollars. NOI margin for these properties would increase to about 70 to 80 percent to generate a net operating income of about 230 million dollars, and um, with with a cap rate of um, six to seven percent. Um, this should bring a uh, valuation to about 3.5 billion. You subtract the $2 billion debt that they would have by then, the equity is still worth $1.5 billion. Current market cap is about $800 million, which shows like 100% upside. Uh, so that's why I believe there could be a potential upside to about $28 to $30 a share. Um, and right now it's trading at 40 so i'm not even willing betting on the horses that is likely to happen i'm just willing to wait hold 
and see what is likely to happen in next two to three years and how they how they perform during that. So it's more or so low risk, but a very high uncertainty bet. And I think I think that's where um, I was I was interested and intrigued to get into this. And I think this is this is Monish's uh, style of investing, as he mentions uh, in his book. Um, and it was hard for me to to even understand all bits and pieces until um, I went through the full analysis and and see the potential of it. Excellent. Yeah. So that makes sense. So you're you're talking about the the most rosy picture of you know that's that's the first thing that you talked about, and, and that's kind of the not so rosy picture, but more realistic picture um, in the short term. Uh, even then, you're giving you're giving it hundred hundred percent upside from here. Uh, right now, as you mentioned, what is it trading at? Certain. It's trading at fourteen dollars a share or so. I see. Okay, great. Fourteen, yeah, fifteen dollars as of uh, today. We're uh, today is the twentieth of December, and that's trading at fourteen, fifteen dollars, and the market cap of about a five hundred. 550 that that's not actually accurate i do want to highlight to it over our users that they have operating partnerships if you go to their annual report uh, mm -hmm. they have operating partnerships which are convertible and when you add those additional shares it goes to 55 million outstanding shares which makes the market cap to about about 800 million 800 million yeah okay okay great all right so um so you're saying the right now in the most realistic case it, sh it, sh it should be 2 2x upside um i don't think you know we are almost at time for this podcast but if people would like to do a more deep dive and understand more in detail of analysis that you've done i know you run a blog so we'll definitely link that in our description so that you can go check that out uh, some of the detailed analysis that he has done um, would be available online after we record this podcast. So please go check that out. And if you want to engage with uh, Abhishek uh, directly, I'll also paste his Twitter handle in the in the in the description box box as well. Okay, so that brings us to the end of the podcast. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, uh, I think, um, um, like I said, Seritage is an interesting story where you're supposed to, uh, where I wouldn't necessarily make a, make a huge bet, maybe a small position and kind of like see how the risk unfolds or the uncertainty unfolds. Um, but it's an interesting story where you can actually think about how the big investors might be, might be thinking about this. Um, talking, wrapping it up there, um, um, I just wanted to kind of like thank you for, for having me over here. Um, I'm super um, uh, grateful for you to give me this opportunity to, to bring my analysis uh, to the table. And I, I do want to encourage um, people in the community as well as our listeners to, um, to, to do such, such deep dive and, and bring some of these uh, insights uh, onto the table. And on, on, on a personal level, I, I do wanted to um, thank few people. Um, because of their research, I was able to put this together. So uh, Brad Kellner, uh, he has a, a YouTube channel who did uh, individual property analysis 
uh, for for Seltage's group, group properties. Um, and then uh, there are two more people. There's a there is a channel called Investing with Tom, um, and then uh, Karan Gurnami. Um, so I would like to thank these people for doing the uh, the meat, I would say, of the analysis and allowing uh, myself as well as other readers to to dive into this more deeply. Um, and to just close the statement, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn this on my own. Uh, I'm trying to professionally learn this as well. Um, so feel free to reach out to me if you, if you, if you have anything. Excellent. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure having you here and, uh, I hope, uh, more people can come and, uh, you know, talk about their thesis for a company that they enjoy and they're really excited about. So again, thank you for uh, coming onto the podcast. All right, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you guys for listening in, and I hope to see you guys in the next episode.